This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast is brought to you by Swenson Real Estate, service before self. With over 30 years experience, they've seen it all. Contact Jeff and Lorena today at 406-253-0033. That's 406-253-0033. Swenson Real Estate, service before self. Hello and welcome to the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm Andy Viano. The state of Montana is on the cover of this week's Beacon as Tristan Scott went in-depth on the biggest political story of the year in his feature, Redrawing District Lines, about the second U.S. House seat that is coming back to the state in 2022. To talk about the redistricting process, I brought in our editor-in-chief and census enthusiast, Kellen Brown, and we'll talk about Tristan's cover story, about what the new map of Montana could look like in order to balance the state's population and geography, about how a potential 2022 race for the second house seat is shaping up, and just when all of this will be settled. You'll hear my conversation with Kellen in just a bit, and stick around after that for a quick rundown of the biggest news stories that you may have missed in the last week. But before all of that, a reminder that this week's podcast, and indeed everything we produce at the Flathead Beacon, is made possible in part by members of the Beacon Editors Club. Members contribute as little as $5 a month to keep our work going now and into the future, and they qualify for some great bonus perks too. To learn more or join the club today, visit BeaconEditorsClub.com. Well, there was some big news last week as the results of the 2020 U.S. Census were released to the public. And as expected, the state of Montana gained a second seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, something that will be added in the following the next election cycle in 2022. That is the subject of this week's cover story. It was written by our assistant managing editor, Tristan Scott, called Redrawing District Lines. And thankfully for us, we have a census and redistricting expert on our staff (laughs) in (laughs) Editor-in-Chief Kellen Brown, who joins me this week. Kellen, thanks for uh, joining the show again. Uh, I always know when you want to talk to me, and and often it's about the census. But yeah, no, it's great to be here. It's, uh, you know, it was great news for Montana. Uh, to get a, a second seat and get go from one of the most underrepresented states in the country to one of the most represented. So that was uh, nice to see if you live in Montana. So this is not, though, the first time that Montana has had two seats in the U.S. House. In fact, for much of uh, the last 150 years or so, there have been two House seats. Can you take us through, before we talk about what's going to happen going forward, Kind of what the history is of Montana's population and representation in D.C. Yeah, what's really unique is that we are the first state to lose it and get it back. We had stagnant growth during the 80s, so 1990, we lost our second U.S. House seat and not only became one of the biggest districts by population, but also by land. Um, and then we just missed out in 2010, and everyone thought we'd get it in 2020, but the census has been kind of a junk show. Um, it was supposed to come out in December. Now it's April, um, uh, but we have it. Um, now it's May. Sorry, it came out in April. And, uh, um, you know, it's nice to get it back. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, it's been 30 years, so too long. 
Well, what happens next then? There's a process in the Montana Constitution that outlines some of this, but uh, but what happens now that we know for a fact we'll have two seats? Well, they will go to a, a, a districting and apportionment commission, and that is two Republicans, two Democrats, one person that is appointed by the Supreme Court, and they will decide, um, based on the Constitution, where to draw this line. Uh, and the Constitution says, quote, it shall consist of compact and contiguous territory. And, quote, again, all districts shall be as nearly equal in population as, as, uh, as practic- uh, practicable. Is that a word? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm reading that right. Um, but uh, uh, so, so that's, that's what they're told to do. What that looks like, how you, uh, how you interpret that is, is different. So we will wait until we get you know, population estimate or population numbers for our urban areas, uh, for our counties. And we will have to look at those in the early fall to determine where this line is going to be, which we don't have yet. All we have is we're getting another seat, um, and the state has added uh, nearly uh, 100,000 people over the last decade. That's what we know. We grew up by about 10%. We're now at 1,084,000, roughly. But now now they have to go. Now they have to release the rest of them, so we see where that line's going to be. Well, not having that complete data hasn't stopped some people from speculating, I believe yourself included, on where that line could be. Yeah. And I guess maybe where where has the line been in the past? And, and then let's talk about where you think that line might be drawn to split these two districts. Yeah, and it's not just me, but it's former Congressman Ryan Zinke who has said he's going to run for one of the districts. Um, and he is uh, convinced that one of those will be a Western district. And that, and that is tradition, and that's what I think. Um, and so the line traditionally has gone basically down the Rocky Mountain front. So 1990, uh, the line basically uh, went from uh, Glacier County, which is right next to us. And they, they were included in the Western district. It went down. It, it had Lewis and Clark County in it. Um, that was, uh, you know, Helena, Broadwater County, and Park County. And everything east of that was in the Eastern District. But here's what the, the, the problem with that line is the Western Montana has grown much faster than Eastern Montana. Most, most, I would say most people think, however, it's going to be uh, an Eastern or Western District. It's just what, what do you include? Uh, I've kind of done some estimates and I think, you know, to even out the districts and kind of go along the same line, you would basically give Glacier, Lewis and Clark, Broadwater and Park, which is Livingston, to the Eastern District, and then the Western District would include, you know, Gallatin, Flathead, Missoula, Ravalli, uh, and be made up that way. And uh, um, but the ramifications of which of those counties um, go go where are, are pretty far reaching because no matter what, if you go Eastern Western District, the Eastern District is going to be a safe Republican stronghold in theory, where the Western District. It's probably going to lean red, but be a little more competitive. And, and uh, um, you know, your candidates are going to matter. Um, it's a smaller district. You're going to be able to go, you know, they have retail politics a little more. Um, and uh, so so we'll see. But, you know, that's that's what I think most people think. It's just which of those counties right on the edge are going to be moved to the, uh, the eastern or the western. What I thought was interesting in Tristan's story is, is there was one piece of speculation in there that... Possibly counties could be split up. 
as these these lines are drawn. Do you see that as a possibility? I mean, how feasible is is that option to try and get the populations to match at, at roughly half a million one side, half a million on the other? I don't see that happening. That's just my opinion because it's not that hard to get these populations close. Because along that kind of Rocky Mountain front line are a variety of counties with a variety of populations. You have small rural like Broadwater and Glacier, you have more metropolitan like Lewis and Clark, and you have somewhere in between, Park County. And so you can likely add up full counties, you know, to get really close to what you're going to be, you know, you're going to be wanting about, you know, 540,000 people aside, essentially. And I think you're going to be able to get close to that without splitting the counties up. This redistricting committee that you mentioned won't have that data until September, and that's a pretty quick turnaround from there that they have to to submit their findings. Is the the redistricting committee the final say? And and if not, what happens after they have drawn this map? Who has to or is going to sign off on this? Well, I mean, they are supposed to have the final say. I mean, that's what's in our Constitution. You you have some rumblings about, you know, we're having some... Party, some parties are going to watch to see what they do. But in my opinion, this shouldn't be that hard. If you're going to go with the Western and Eastern District, it shouldn't be that hard. I don't know. Every, everything's political, right? But it, you're going to have a safe Republican in district and a district that leans Republican. And it, it makes the most sense. We have much more in common on the Western side of the divide than the Eastern side of the divide. On the Eastern, Eastern Montana, it's definitely more agriculture. Um, natural resource development, uh, that sort of thing. Our side, you know, we have two college towns, a lot of tourism, you know, you know, maybe more timber. We have a lot more in common in the West than say, like if you cut it North to South, that that doesn't make any sense. So I, I think them going in, it shouldn't be that contentious. It will be, but it, but it shouldn't. And I kind of broke down some numbers of what, what it would look like if they followed, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I, I think I think Democrats, I agree with the political scientists quoted in the story that Democrats are a little overconfident with this Western district. So if you take if you take the numbers from the last election where Matt Rosendale won 56-44 statewide, big margin, 12 points uh, over Kathleen Williams. If, if you cut this into an Eastern and Western district, that Eastern district just blows up. So like he, he wins that district. By 20 points, if you go along kind of the map that I tentatively drew. Well, and then the Western District is still Rosendale winning, but just by a margin of 53 to 47. And that's still six points. So it's a, certainly a lean Republican district still. So so it's not, I don't think the Democrats should be overly confident that they're just because you have Missoula and Bozeman in one district, you're shooing to win. You also have the Flathead, which is very conservative. You have Ravalli, which is very conservative that are going to cancel out uh, some of those votes. So it will be interesting to see what happens. Beyond Zinke, I'm excited to see who throws their hat in the ring. But uh, one, one other point that was made, it makes, in this, in this story by Tristan, it makes the seats more attractive. And what I mean by that, since Denny Reberg, we've had folks in our, as our lone U.S. House representative serve two years, try for something else. Serve two years, you know, be appointed to something else. Because I don't think it's that great a job. You know, you have a huge state. You have to travel to every county in the state. It's it can be, you know, and I don't want to say expensive, but it's time consuming. And now you will have not half that because it's not going to cut the state quite in half, but just less area to cover. 
And I think that um, you might have some some house rep stick in that position a little longer, which makes a difference because that's how they gain seniority and committees and and that's how, you know, they, they gain clout and power in Washington. Well, let's talk before I let you go then about that incumbent, Matt Rosendale, and the potential race for the second seat uh, in 2022. So uh, I think the speculation is that if Rosendale runs again, he will be part of that Eastern District. Mm-hmm. The DJ is pretty strongly red. In the Western District, a, a couple of things stand out to me. One, it'll be a pretty tight turnaround. By the mm-hmm. time this maps are drawn, you'll probably have less than a year from that day until Election Day 2022. You mentioned Ryan Zink. He has already sort of thrown his hat in the ring. I guess what's it going to mean to have name recognition, which Zinke certainly has for better or worse, in being able to stand out in uh, that potential race, which is, is coming up here now, right around the corner. I think name recognition will, will mean something. On the Democratic side, you could see Kathleen Williams run again. Um, you could see Whitney Williams run as well, who ran for governor. Uh, maybe Mike Cooney, who knows? And then on the Republican side, you have a stable of state representatives, state senators that could throw their hat in the ring that, that folks know. But if it is Western and Eastern District, the Western District is relatively, for Montana, <laughs> compact. You know, it's still big, but you can drive from Butte to Hamilton up to Whitefish, Kalispell, Missoula. I mean, you can do that in a few days. You can do that in a weekend. And so, yes, it's a quick turnaround, but you're not driving eight hours to Billings and back. You know, you can really hit the campaign trail hard. There's much more urban areas in the West and East of this state. And so, who knows? Name recognition could mean a lot, but you also could find someone who just, you know, really is a great campaigner and him or her are able to um, attract some some support where you didn't really expect it, which makes it more fun because it's not in Montana. It does seem like sometimes you have the same people running over and over and over and over, whether it's Democrat, Republican, and they all run for each other's jobs. And, and it's the same people. Let's get some fresh blood, whatever your political stripes, or at least be able to consider uh, someone new. So that is another benefit that we talked about a little earlier from having two seats. Colin, thanks so much for uh, lending us your expertise. We appreciate your time. Uh, Expertise, that might be a stretch, but I appreciate you having me. (laughs) Thanks again to Kellen, and don't forget to check out Tristan Scott's cover story, Redrawing District Lines, in this week's Flathead Beacon. It's available for free on newsstands throughout Northwest Montana or online at flatheadbeacon.com. And before we get to this week's headlines, Dr. Mark Remington of Glacier Eye Clinic has a message from our sponsor this week. I've known Jeff for probably around 20 years. Very good friend of mine. He's helped me both personally and professionally in the real estate market. He is super ethical, super knowledgeable. He's prompt. He'll return your calls and he'll steer you in the right direction. As a friend, he's been service before self. Contact Swenson Real Estate at 406-253-0033 today. And now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days as of 8 p.m. on Tuesday, May 4th. A grand jury moved to indict a former Flathead Valley contractor on 12 criminal counts in U.S. District Court on April 28th. 
The unsealed indictment charges Craig Draper with 10 counts of wire fraud and two counts of money laundering related to a prolific building scam Draper allegedly perpetrated in the Flathead Valley, a pattern of accepting payments but failing to provide services that the Beacon first reported on in 2019. That story outlined reports from a number of Draper's alleged victims, many part of a Facebook page with over 150 members, all sharing stories about Draper and his former businesses, most prominently ADI Builders. Court documents allege that instead of performing the work he was hired to do, Draper would use the money his clients paid him on, quote, unrelated business and personal expenses. He's alleged to have stolen millions of dollars from victims in the Flathead Valley, and Draper also allegedly failed to pay vendors and employees that he worked with. He faces decades in prison if convicted on all 12 federal charges. His initial court appearance is scheduled for May 24th. In other news, the Flathead City County Health Department is urging county residents to sign up for the COVID-19 vaccine now if they plan on getting the shot at any point. Demand for the vaccine has slowed dramatically in Flathead County, and the health department has scaled back its vaccine clinics to two days a week at the county fairgrounds. Fewer than 30% of eligible Flathead County residents are fully immunized against COVID-19, and fewer than 100 people a day are registering for new vaccine appointments via the county, although local pharmacies are also regularly administering vaccine doses. All Montana residents age 16 and older are currently eligible for the vaccine, and anyone unable to schedule an appointment for work or other scheduling reasons could be helped out by a mobile vaccine unit operated by Kalispell Regional Healthcare that is expected to make regular stops around the valley this spring and summer. More information on the mobile clinics, including a listing of times and locations where you can find them, is expected to be released in the coming weeks. Elsewhere, a community group in Evergreen is pushing county commissioners to approve a project to build sidewalks along key walking routes for local school children in the area, including along a busy stretch of U.S. Highway 2. The group Evergreen Community Partners asked the county to submit a grant proposal to fund part of the project and create a pair of special tax districts, although the commission was hesitant to move forward with Commissioner Randy Brodell calling the proposal, quote, halfway, since the districts had not been finalized. Advocates say the sidewalks are needed to get kids safely to and from school, especially when winter weather strikes. And finally, murder charges will be dropped against a lakeside woman accused of shooting and killing her ex-husband after he tried to rape her last year. Rachel Bellison admitted to killing Jacob Glace outside the town of Paradise last October, and she was charged with deliberate homicide despite reporting the shooting herself, suffering, quote, significant bruising and appearing to officers with damage to her clothes indicative of an attempted sexual assault. Bellison was freed on bail last year after her lawyer argued for her bond to be reduced from $200,000 to $20,000. Last month, a special prosecutor moved to dismiss the case without prejudice, leaving the door open for charges to be refiled at a later date. Bellison's attorney will argue for the charge to be dismissed with prejudice, closing the case for good at a hearing later this month. 
That's our show. A special thanks to Micah Drew for editing this episode. And remember, you can read more about all of these stories and many, many more for free at flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>